0: From Div 1 soccer to Wall Street to an NBA to pro level triathlon to Boom Baby to Strava QOM Queen to ketone startups. Today's guest has been staying busy to say the least. This week on Put Your Socks On, we sit down with Isabel King. Hello and welcome to another episode of Put Your Socks On. My name is Angus Morton and as always, I am joined by Bobby J. Bobby, how you doing? I'm doing really well, Gus.
1: Had a great week working, family, friends, went to the lake, got to ride some gravel. I would say tried and epically failed at wake surfing. My big sister turned 50. So happy birthday, Robin! But man, I can't even—I can't believe it's August. This is nuts. I mean, what happened to July? I don't even know where that last month has gone. But uh, hey, I know that you're over in the UK now. So how are you doing,
0: mate? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. We're deep in production on a uh, on a film that we're that we're making over here. So right now, I'm running on uh, a couple of hours sleep, and uh, and probably will be for the next several weeks. So yeah, deep in it over here. But you know, good to be uh, good to be back at it, back shooting, and uh, it's exciting.
1: Awesome. Well, we we have uh definitely kicked into higher gear with uh, cycling-related news this week. Our favorite, well, my favorite personal uh, guest that we've had so far, Yolanda Neff, is back. She won her Swiss mountain bike championship, and I, I think I said this months ago that she was back, but Getting that first W after what she went through had to have been pretty special. I don't think that was a monkey on her back. I think it was a gorilla. And now that she's gotten that out of the way, I'm sure there's going to be a lot more Ws in her near future.
0: Yeah, you're exactly right. For her to turn that around after such unfortunate events and in light of all of the uh all of the shutdowns. It's good to see her back. A lot of countries had their national championships over the weekend. We had Norway, Sweden, Belarus, Greece, and Hungary. And there are the rest of the countries are going to have theirs at the end of August fitting into the uh World Tour calendar. So plenty of action there. We also had uh the Sibiu tour which was dominated by the Bora Hansgrohe team.
1: Yeah, that was it got off to a little shaky start. They had a prologue that, like, ten guys got through on, in in dry conditions, and then the skies opened up, and it was a little bit dangerous for everybody. But after that, Gregor Molberger and Pascal Ackerman traded stage wins, so they both wound up winning two stages. And in the overall, you had Gregor Molberger finishing ahead of his Bora Hansgrohe teammate. Patrick Conrad with Matteo Badalati from Israel Startup Nation finishing third. So, um, good start for the Scroll boys.
0: Absolutely. And in the women's racing, Anamiek van Vluten picked up right where she left off after winning Het Newsblad before the shutdown. She just won three races in a row over in Spain. Man, way to rock that jersey, but also just like stomp down uh, coming out of the lockdown.
1: Yeah, that was pretty impressive. I mean, she's on quite a streak here after winning the Worlds, uh, winning Het Nieuwsblad back in February. That was the last time I think the women raced. And then to come out of lockdown, didn't really see her so much on Zwift, to tell you the truth. You know, obviously did enough because she she was storming. And yeah, the men actually started recently as well with the Volta Burgos uh, started today. Looked like a tricky little finish to to start off the or to kick off the the restart of the season, if you will. One thing I was paying attention to was were the people on the side of the road. And they kind of came through and did a lap of the finish and then came through for the finish. And that first time through the finish line, I, I, I thought I was watching a, just a normal bike race. There were so many people on the side of the road kind of trying to see the guys coming up. And I think somebody must have reminded them that social distancing has to be a big part of this especially with the spectators if if the sport is to continue because when they came around for the finish you know they seemed like there was a lot less people standing on top of each other you know starting off with a hard stage like that i mean everybody's fresh right now and they were just drilling it on the front it'll be interesting to see how many of these how how fast fatigue accumulates right now because when you haven't raced in 4 months everyone's full of piss and vinegar they're ready to get out there but man uh, you can fatigue pretty quickly without having that that endurance base that they're used to. It'll be interesting because yeah, now the races are going to start coming hot and heavy, and um, other than the the COVID nineteen protocols, I think fatigue and just maybe a little bit of mental burnout, both on the riders and the staff, could could factor into you know how how the season plays out from here.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and we have seen already um, the implementation of of the COVID-19 um, guidelines to to get to the start line has impeded uh, a number of women's teams uh, at races over the weekend. We've seen Israel Startup Nation pull a couple of riders, um, Alex Dowsett, uh, one of those, after coming in contact with, with a teammate who had tested positive. So, yeah, I think it's going to be, certainly in these first few weeks, take a little bit of getting used to. And, and honestly, I really hope they can get it... You know, locked down in a quick manner so they can you know be able to roll out the rest of the season and not let these kind of shaky start interfere with 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 the bigger races once they once they kick off because there'd be nothing worse than having a season where you know some of the top riders weren't able to start due to slow test results or you know inefficient um sort of protocols so you know hopefully we'll get all that locked down and we'll see some some uh, awesome racing which is exciting it's really exciting
1: Yeah. These little micro bubbles in around the race have got to be difficult. I wonder what life is like walking through the hallway of a hotel and basically just having to stay away from everybody outside of your bubble. The vibe must be totally different because, you know, before this whole thing happened, everybody was down having a coffee together, sitting there after the meal and, and talking. But I th- it's got to be a totally different vibe. And uh, I hope I hope these guys uh, can stick to it. One of the coolest things about doing Put Your Socks On is we always get to meet new and, and very interesting people. And our guest today is exactly that. Isabel King, welcome to... Put your socks on.
2: Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me.
1: Well, you know, we've heard a lot about you through Reggie, of course, but uh, we want to know about you. Uh, You were formerly a Division I soccer player at Columbia, Columbia University. Then you went to work on Wall Street for four years for UBS on the equity trading floor. That sounds uh, pretty interesting. Then all of a sudden wanted to go back to school to get your MBA in business from UCLA. And then all of a sudden started doing triathlons. Now you're a super legit cyclist, just stomping on the KOM. Uh, you pretty much own the KOMs uh, in, in your area. But fill in the blanks a little bit for, our, for us and our listeners. Give us some insight into to what makes you tick.
2: Yeah, it's, been, it's definitely been an interesting journey so far. I think one of the biggest things is always my mom taught me growing up was uh, you're never going to be mad that you have too many opportunities. So always just to kind of keep opportunities open. Um, So for me, it was kind of, I grew up in San Francisco and I wanted to go back East. I was really good at soccer um, and I was recruited to play at a bunch of different schools and Columbia was the one that uh, ended up fitting. That one was kind of, again, with the, I called it the ACL test. It was if you, you know, if you chair your ACL in the first day of preseason, are you still happy at the school that you're at? And so Columbia kind of fit that bill for me. I was lucky I didn't get hurt. Uh, and so I got to play all four years and was really successful with that. Kind of next, I was a psychology major in college and wasn't really quite sure kind of what I was going to do with that but I got an internship at UBS my junior year and then was hired full-time after school uh, to work on the equity trading floor and definitely like a lot of psychology played into that when you know money is online it's fast and everyone's yelling at each other it's really interesting to see kind of how like team dynamics work. The trading floor is a lot of like ex-college athletes that still like like the energy, like yelling, like the idea that they have to like run to go to the bathroom and then come back. And you know, it was like uh, definitely an interesting environment to kind of jump into with no finance background. So with that, like everything that I knew about finance, I learned on the job. I was kind of like a jack of all trades, you know, Swiss army knife that you know, sponged up all information I could. I worked on um, three different desks while I was there for four years and kind of just like learned everything and was able to kind of mush what I had learned at each desk to cover clients in a more kind of holistic way. That said, I wasn't a huge fan of the kind of antiquated way that Wall Street still works. There is a certain element of, if I take you out to this steak dinner, I'd get a big trade the next day, which was kind of ugh in my mind. And I wanted to go back to school to get kind of a more finalized uh, formal education in finance. So UCLA was that for me. It got me back to California and also gave me the opportunity to kind of expand my actual kind of formalized teaching within management and strategy and business. And so my original plan was to go uh, transition from traditional finance into the fintech world the more financial technology, the PayPals, the squares. I worked at a company called Varo Money, which is a mobile banking company that is helping making banking more accessible to everybody and just basically cutting out the brick and mortar part of the equation. So everything in these days they are doing great because no one wants to go to a bank. So they've actually kind of cornered that market in terms of being able to offer you everything that your traditional retail bank would give you, but just kind of from a digitalized standpoint, which was uh, really, really cool to be a part of. Uh, the whole triathlon thing was kind of a curveball in that I signed up totally on a whim in the summer. I had some time the summer before school and was like, well, you know, I miss competing. I've, I did a few marathons when I was in New York and it was just running really hurts. I still, I still stand by that viewpoint running hurts. Uh, and so once I got a bike, I was kind of, I was hooked. Um <laughs> And then I did my first triathlon about a week before we started business school and I actually won, which was pretty fun. <laughs> and so that kind of, you know, if you talk about what motivates me, the idea that you can like pick something up and put your, put your effort into it and see the payoff was really exciting. Uh, so I showed up to business school as this kind of hardo triathlon girl that had, you know, an Iron Man bracelet on because I had just finished the boulder half Iron Man the day before and like probably still had the Sharpie number on my calf. And so it was pretty interesting to see kind of you show up to business school and everyone asks you like, what do you, what did you do? What are you looking to do? And my answer was always like, I was in finance and I'm looking to do FinTech until kind of, I realized that this triathlon thing, if I kept training through school, I could maybe be pretty good at it. And I ended up qualifying to compete as a pro after the week, after I finished finals, the first year of business school, which was pretty fun. Um, So definitely not the career path. I remember talking to my career advisor and being like, is this possible? Like, am I going to get, you know, blacklisted from NBA if I decide that I want to be a pro triathlete coming out of school? Uh, but they were super supportive of it. They were kind of like, no, like we've never had one, mine as well. And my, it's kind of the same as that ACL test I mentioned before, like, and, you know, a career that involves your body can be taken away at any moment. Injuries happen, you know, I could get hit by a car and that's a very real thing for me. But so I wanted to finish my MBA and make sure, you know. I had that as the backup plan. I have I have the ability and, you know, the resources to work at a desk. I will have to do that eventually, I know. <laughs> but I've been uh, trying to chase this little curveball of a dream in the last year, which has been fun.
1: Well, tell me a little bit of, more about the ACL test, because I have a daughter who just graduated high school. She was planning on going to college, and that has kind of gotten messed up, uh, mm-hmm. to play volleyball. Yeah. And... I like what you said about the ACL test. So can you go back and tell me yeah. exactly what you meant for for all those young women out there, all those those young men that are making this thing cuz what you said there I think was absolutely spot on.
2: Yeah, I think for me for you know a young athlete that's looking to go play in college it's the dream. You're like I'm going to go, I'm going to have all these resources, I'm going to play in these huge arenas and this and the realistic factor is that you're going to college, at least for me to get an education and the sports is a huge, huge part of it. And it was, you know, uh, like kind of what identified me at school, but there is always that risk that you tear your ACL or something like that in the first day. And you don't want to have made a choice that, you know, I only went to play this sport and now I'm in the middle of the country and I'm not actually getting an education because the sports was the only reason that I chose this school. So for me, it came down to, it was, Interesting, it came down to like probably three or four schools and they were all really different, but I liked them for different reasons. And none of those reasons really had to do with the soccer program. Some were even D3. And it was an interesting kind of, for a little bit, I was like, do I want to go, if I play at a D3 school, maybe I'm like the best player immediately, but like, I really liked this school. And I think for me, it was really important. Like Columbia gave me the education that I wanted and soccer ended up being like a really, really cool addition uh, and part of that.
0: And what would you say, I think that's like um, an interesting point coming out of, out of school is balancing your athletic aspirations with scholastic aspirations. I'm interested to hear from your perspective about, were you able to find a positive in, in balancing both, in having both sides of life?
2: Uh, absolutely. For me, it's. Um, I grew up playing sports, so I always had that. I always felt like my grades were worse on the seasons that I didn't, like when we were in off-season – because you're like, well, you know, this two hours, I would normally be at soccer practice. So I'm just going to kind of futz around or like go procrastinate and do something else. And then you end up wasting way more time. Whereas if you know that you're going to have practice for three hours and you also have a paper to write and you have a test that's later that week and you know that your schedule is pretty packed, you prioritize your time better. And I got really good at kind of using every you know nook and cranny of time um, versus I feel like sometimes when you have more time, you tend to you know, procrastinate more. And so for me, sports was a huge, um, motivator in terms of how to like time manage. And I think that came into play a lot better. Like when you're then thrown into the working world, you're like, okay, I have this job, you know, it's a set this time. And maybe, you know, later in the day, it's going to go later. I'm gonna have to stay after work. So I switched and I worked out every single day. I got up at four when I was working on the training floor, I'd get up at four and go to the gym. I'd be there at five when it opened. And I worked, I worked out from five until 5.15. And then honestly, I think my transition time in triathlons now or benefit from the years that I was able to get from the elliptical in the gym to my desk in the office in less than 15 minutes. (laughs) It was very good. (laughs) I had wet hair every single day that I walked into the office, but I was able to work out from five to uh, 6.15 and be in the office by 6.30, which was pretty crazy.
1: Okay. So soccer, Wall Street, triathlons, Mm -hmm. cycling. (laughs) Uh, But we also heard that you had maybe some inspirations to be a professional pro slalom water skier. (laughs)
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> Tell, how, how does that fit into this whole equation here? Oh, cool. It
2: fits in to the, uh, I like to choose sports that are have like super bulky gear and they're really niche and they're, you know, pretty expensive and cost per head. And those are kind of seem to be the, the commonalities between cycling triathlon and water skiing. Um, but I grew up water skiing. We went to Lake Tahoe growing up. Um, so I grew up water skiing there and then, um, Once I was graduated with college, my mom is also a huge water skier, and so she and I would do. uh, We did three different camps. We went to Greece, uh, we went to uh, Acapulco, and we went to Costa Rica. And we did a week long where you slalom and you get coached, and you ski three times a day, and your body is just destroyed in kind of a different way. So I did that, and it's kind of it's such a small sport that you know I was able to kind of pick it up and get through the course and. The way that it works is you get through the course at a certain speed and then you shorten your rope and you get better that way. And I was always kind of just on the cusp where if I actually put in more than you know a week every year of training, I could probably have been pretty good. But at the time I was working in New York and didn't really have access to any facilities. So it was kind of just like this weird secret sport that I was pretty good that if I ever went to Tahoe with friends, they were like, wait, hold on. <laughs> you made that look super easy and now you're throwing me in the water with these. Huge skis. I have no idea what I'm doing, and I'm gonna humiliate
1: myself. <laughs> well, talking about humiliating yourself, I pretty much did that this this last weekend. We got to go to the lake and I got to try wake surfing <laughs> oh. for the first first time. And my wife, who was a snowboarder and a little bit of a skateboarder when she was younger, she just pops up first time. So I'm makes like, it look oh. so easy. Yeah. Like, okay. H- here we go. Here we go. And I failed. Miserably. I mean, it wasn't even close three times. And then I just chucked in the towel and I said, (laughs) I'm going to have to go and research this before I I make myself look like even more of an idiot.
2: I was going to say from generally being like athletic humans, it's the most frustrating thing ever. It's kind of how I feel about golf. I'm like, "Mm, this is just not going to be conducive to my mental health to keep trying this.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I remember Uh, my mom, my mom for Christmas bought my brother and I, um, who are both cyclists, a unicycle and she assumed you ride bikes all the time you'd be good at a unicycle neither of us could conquer it (laughs) to the point where we were so frustrated we 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 gave it away like a few days later so it's sort of funny like when you do one sport so much you know everyone's like oh you'd be great at this other thing that's like slightly different but you're so in tuned with with the way that like you know riding a bike with two wheels is that you can't possibly function with one like you can't figure out like how to convert over to the one-wheel bike um so you've been doing tri like you know you're sort of moving towards professional career in triathlon and you've been doing at pro level for the last year tell me what happened what you know what were your plans this year and I guess everything's been you know laid to waste I guess so like how have you kind of made uh lemonade out of lemons
2: yeah I think Kind of as we talked about my non-traditional career path so far um, has kind of you know prepared me for something like this and that I kind of do, I have plans, but a lot of another thing I grew, grew up, my dad would always tell you, keep your knees bent, which came from like skiing moguls in that, like, you never really know when you're going to, sometimes visibility is not great and you're going to hit a mogul. And if your knees are bent, you're going to be able to take that and you know figure it out and get down the mountain. Whereas if you have your legs locked out, you're going to get thrown on your face. So that mentality has kind of been one that I take with me. Um, So this was a big opportunity to have your knees bent. Um, I went into this year with huge racing dreams. Triathlon was just getting rolling. I had actually, I broke my back last year. So it took me a while to get back into running. Um, So I was more cycling um, and getting into that. So I was finally getting back into triathlon and then I had dreams I was going to go race uh, that big race, the 200 mile race in Kansas, and then uh, BWR as well. I was going to get into more of the gravel scene, which I was excited about, but that's okay. You know, that didn't happen. Those kind of got postponed and then eventually kind of canceled. Um, so for me, I wanted to use my training to do some good. I was putting in, you know, 30 hours a week on the bike and I wanted to, you know, kind of felt like that had some purpose. Um, so I developed an idea. I, called, I was calling it the Mountains for Medics, which was, you know, trying to raise awareness for these frontline healthcare workers that are working 12 hour shifts for three days in a row. My goal, I wanted to ride for three days in a row. I wanted to ride 112 miles and 12,000 feet of climbing, which was kind of bigger than I'd ever done. i done 10,000 10, foot days, but I'd never done 12 and I'd never done three days in a row. So I wanted to try that out. And you know, what better way to do that than to invite my kind of partner in crime, the person that always seems to get me in in hilarious situations that might be over my head in mountain biking. I called Reggie Miller and I asked him uh, if he would do this challenge with me. He had also, he'd never ridden more than a hundred miles and nothing more than 9,000 feet. So he agreed. He said, I'll do day one with you. Um, And it was really, really Cool experience to see kind of such an incredible athlete push himself to a new level um, that he'd never gotten to, which was pretty fun. And then, of course, we finished day one and I had to go do it two more days, which was <laughs> always fun.
1: Yeah, that, that was pretty amazing. During this whole process, a lot of people during this whole situation, a lot of people did make lemonade out of lemons and they did raise money and awareness for a lot of different causes and i, I really respected that uh, you know you taking the initiative to to do something like that because yeah there was a lot of people riding very very long you just mentioned a 30-hour week on the bicycle gus did you ever do a 30-hour week ever
0: on the bicycle at least <laughs> yeah. not often it wasn't often yeah. that i found myself doing a 30-hour week that is for sure Man. So yeah,
1: you, you mentioned it and obviously uh we want to talk a lot about that. So is it true that, that Reggie actually stalked you on Instagram <laughs> and um invited you to a ride? I mean, like I, I, I heard that you thought it was a joke. I think every single one of us on the planet would think something like that's a joke. <laughs> I don't know if
2: but, stalking the right word, but like originally he followed me and I was like, Ooh, I like, this is exciting. Um, But then he actually, he answered one of my stories I was writing, uh, in just in the mountains nearby and he was like, Oh, like that's right by my house. Like we should ride sometime. And I was like, well, okay. You know, Reggie Miller, NBA all-star definitely like we should ride sometime. <laughs> and then he actually, he followed up and he was like, I'm training for this hundred mile um, charity ride that I'm doing. And I don't feel super comfortable riding on the road by myself. You're obviously really comfortable. You know, the trail, you know, the roads, like would you mind going on a longer training ride with me? And I was, you know, super flattered by that. Um, And so we met up and the first time we rode, we rode for like six, seven hours. Um, We did probably, I think we did like 80 miles and 6,000 feet of climbing and the ride he had to do was 100 miles and it was in Indiana and it was probably had 200 feet of climbing. So I was like, Rex, you're going to be fine. (laughs) But it was it was really cool to be able to, I think for me, the biggest thing with bikes is you can meet a total stranger that has come from a totally, completely different background and path than you. And you can talk about kind of what what brought you to this moment in your lives where you are suddenly like in the same place, like riding bikes together. It was really, really interesting. And I think the it's like one of the only things I couldn't sit with someone at a coffee shop or at a bar for six hours and talk, but riding a bike, like no problem. So it was, it was a really, really cool experience. And from there has just kind of kept going into this crazy peer, we peer pressure each other. We have the ability to be good at everything. The other one is not good at. So he's good at mountain bikes. I'm good at road. You know, he's good at descending. I'm good at climbing. Um, he, we, we did, he left for the NBA bubble on Saturday. So Friday, two days ago, he, uh, he texted me earlier this week and was like, is it's my last day. I want to go hurt myself. I want to go be super sore to go to Florida uh, into this bubble. And so we basically, the two of us uh, decided to race each other on mountain bikes up and over uh, to these peaks that are right by his house. Um, And I don't know if I successfully sent him sore to Florida, but I woke up the next day feeling like I got hit by a truck, which was awesome. (laughs) So it's pretty fun. It's pretty cool to be able to, you know, Push each other, and both of us have gotten incredibly you know, like a lot stronger. It was a I got the little notification that a year ago on Thursday was when we rode for the first time together. Um, so in that year, it's pretty cool to see kind of how far we've come, even with these curveballs and these bumps along the road. We've managed to kind of come through it stronger, which is really cool.
1: And when we had Reggie on, he told us about the whole Boom Baby um, yeah. idea. Are you are you involved with Boom Baby as well?
2: Um, so I am. Boom Baby is also the reason that I know my uh, local urgent care providers by name because I got into mountain biking with Reggie, and I have the kind of the no fear mentality that isn't quite backed up with the skills yet. So we're working on balancing those out. Um, so I would just kind of send it off these, you know, <laughs> these things that were a little bit too big, uh, and I have, you know, have some dirt glued into my elbow right here from the first time I fell and then you know we x-rayed my ribs the next week and <laughs> but oh um, I got to race I think I've raced three times in the boom baby ju- um, jersey and it's been I, I won my first mountain bike race which was a cross-country little local one which was really fun and then um, we went down Reggie and I did the filthy 50 which is down in San Diego and I got to race. Uh, race in the pro field, which was really fun. I ended up, I came in third out of 16, which was pretty, I was pretty proud of, but it was really fun. We had pre-ridden the course the week before, but we missed this crazy clover section that was at the end of this out and back course and I had actually Reggie had caught me on the way out there, and so we rode together that like part that we hadn't ridden together, um, and it was really technical and really scary. And I like crashed at one point, but we ended up like he did way better. He had some issues with cramping on the last uh, the last hill, so I ended up finishing before him. But he did way better than he had the year before, and like we were really looking forward to kind of this year taking that boom baby team and like i was really proud to be able to stand on the podium wearing that jersey for him and his team which was cool
0: tell me about the the partnership with castelli and the and the the black lives matters jersey that that you guys just put out
2: so again with the so i did that mounts for medics the three-day challenge was really really great the biggest um kind of unexpected was we, we were coming back day three. I had just finished the 12,000 feet. I was with my two friends who had done this at the third day with me. And we were all so tired and we, all of our phones started getting calls. We were coming down this descent back to PCH to come into Santa Monica. And everyone was like, you have to go around. You have to go around. Like you can't get, you can't get home just straight. So we had to ride, um, around probably three or four extra miles to get around the riots that were happening in Santa Monica. And it was a pretty crazy juxtaposition to come from like the beauty of, you know, being in the mountains all alone and doing this for the healthcare workers to suddenly like, you know, cars are going hundred miles an hour. One car came around the corner and was like throwing empty pill bottles out of the window. Like they just raided the pharmacy and it was, it was pretty crazy. And so with that, I was kind of like had to take a step back and not that one cause ever, you know, eclipses another, but it was okay you know, I did this for the you know the healthcare workers are definitely you know with everyone getting together and protesting like this is definitely not going to be not be an issue. But I also want to try and figure out how I can help um, with the Black Lives Matter movement as well. And so I was incredibly um, thankful that Reggie looped me in with what Castelli wanted to do he was so excited about it. He was like, you can't, you can't tell anyone. if I tell you what we're thinking about, you can't tell anyone like that. It was like super secret for a while, which was fun. And so we did the partnership with Castelli is a say their names Jersey, um, which has a bunch of different sayings on it. Um, and it's a really powerful Jersey. And so it, um, we got to go, you know, do the photo shoot, shoot and have the first jerseys of that. And then it was kind of posted around and we sold you know, within the first, like, three days, we sold over six uh, 600 kits, which was pretty cool. Castelli, it was like, we don't, we were not, like, prepared to have this much demand, which was really, really exciting. We were talking about it yesterday. I think blowing up the Castelli factory is probably the best thing that we could have hoped for. They actually opened it yesterday to be open internationally as well, um, which was really, really exciting. Because, you know, even though it's not necessarily, you know, an international, you know, movement, um, people wanted to get on board and you know show their support uh, overseas as well, which was really really exciting. It, you know it turned out really well, and I'm excited people will start getting their jerseys in a month, and so to start seeing them on the road will be really fun.
0: It's exciting to see you using sport at this time to do a wide range of things that are a little bit beyond just performance. That being said, you've also, <laughs> which probably isn't a surprise, isn't a surprise to anybody listening to this, but you've also managed to tie. Performance into this, in you know, scheme it in there in the um, in, in 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 between everything else you're doing. Four hundred and fifty QOMs.
2: I think so. What on is earth? Crazy. That numbers. Like, I can't <laughs> even wrap
0: my head around that.
2: Okay, I do have to preference in that. Like, I got one people. I don't know if it's just a California thing or if it's all over the people. People like to make their own segments that are the exact same as the the main segment that everyone goes for, but like a little bit shorter. So we went and did Mandeville is kind of the hill that everyone and their moms do, you know, intervals up and so it has like, you know, 30,000 attempts ever have done it. And so we went the other day and I managed to get the QOM on that, which was really, really exciting. That was kind of the one that I thought was going to be the hardest because the only fast times are these times that people do on the holiday ride, which is, you know, 50 to a hundred people all drafting off each other, going as fast as they possibly can. And we were able to go out. I had two friends. Um, I'm super lucky in that, you know, the friends that I have are faster than the fastest women ever. So they've been, you know, through quarantine, I've been trying to keep up with them. And as, you know, collateral damage, I've been getting a lot faster. And so we went out on Thursday and I was doing the typical, like, nah, I'm tired. I don't want to do it. I already rode today. And they were like, just do it. Like, sit behind us. We're going to pace you out for this. And so it was pretty gross. Um, but I got that, I got that QOM, which was exciting. But then I opened Strava and I had 105 new segment QOMs, which I was like, okay, that seems a little bit ridiculous. Like that in in a you know in a six mile segment uphill, people have made a hundred and five <laughs> like but different you, mini segments that I then took. <laughs>
0: but you still got them all, even the shorter ones. Which, like, true, theoretically, most the people should be cranking <laughs> way harder for the shorter ones. So you know, you don't <laughs> set yourself too short.
2: But it is fun. It's definitely thinking about this. Like a lot of them that I've been taking uh, a pro used to ride in the area. Her name is Katie Donovan. I don't know her personally, but hearing she used to be like world tour, she would just take off whenever, you know, the pitch went up at any kind of grade. Um, and so her times are at the beginning of quarantine, I was looking at them being like, that's just, that's unfair. That's not, you know, that's not real. And so I've been able to take some of hers on the big climbs and every time I think about it, I'm like, man, you know, Strava sends an email to whoever had the QOM before saying you lost your QOM. And I was like, oh, I keep sending a lot of emails and I'm not making a lot of friends. But my goal is to make these times fast enough that when I'm, you know, 45 and just riding bikes for fun, that when some, you know, young type comes in and starts stealing them, that I'm like, okay, she had to work, you know, really hard because I almost barfed when I did that one. So I'll be proud when, you know, when someone starts taking them from me, which is good.
1: That's funny that you mentioned the that, that whole email thing that yeah. they, they send you an email saying yeah. that you, you, you've you been dethroned. And I I was kind of a late adopter of Strava and I actually only used it because I wanted to know how far I was running. Because I nice. took up running because I wasn't biking very much. I was working a lot and I figured, okay, I'm gonna do this. And um, didn't really use it for segments or anything like that. Came moved back here to to Greenville, South Carolina, where George Hincapie and Christian Vanneveld and tons of other really, really good pros trained. So there was no way I was getting a <laughs> a, a KOM. Uh, but then we did a gravel because that's like my new kind of thing. You see my my hat, full gas. All of a sudden, we went out in the woods somewhere and I come back and I've got like, you know, George is like, hey, you got it KOM. I'm like, but where? And like you said, you're like trying to find it. And there's so many of them, but like out in the middle of nowhere, obviously not many people have done this one. And I'm like, yeah, that doesn't matter. And George is like, I'm kind of PO that you got it and I didn't get it. <laughs> And I'm like, George, I'm so far over that. I don't need to really care. But when I got that email that told me that I had been dethroned by 15 seconds, so I mad. must ad- I must admit there was a little tingle of competitiveness coming through. <laughs> a little tingle, a little, a little shocker, you know? So um I, I you know that it's just great. And for all the athletes, both men and women that train so hard this offseason and didn't really have anything to do for the last four months. That seemed to be a real game changer for a lot of people, just keeping everybody motivated. And, you know, you got to have one of those friends like you have with Reggie that it just pokes you. Like, you know, when you're not feeling good and you don't want to go out and go riding, you know, they know how to get you out there. And, And vice versa, you have to, you know, do it for them from time to time as well. But that's really... I saw so much more of that social interaction and people talking about these segments and Zwift and just getting together. Um, a lot of the times, everyone's got their nine to five job. You can't ride with each other, you know, during the week. Most of the time, it's only on the weekend. But that's what I really took positive out of this whole situation that we're still in, and hopefully, um, at least coming out of soon. Is that, that that camaraderie of just sharing those experiences with with your friends? You
2: know, why do we all ride bikes? We ride bikes because we love it, because of the social aspect, which maybe is a little bit not here, you kind of have to pick your quarantine and say, I'm gonna ride with these four people that I know have also been being safe, but the ability to chase kind of your previous bests and get back to like if that's what you wanna be doing, if you wanna get better in this time, like that's what you do. Chase your new PR and that's and that's you know your motivation. But also it's been kind of interesting to see people like just the ability to take a step back. And my mentality has been at the beginning, I had some friends were like, I need to go do these intervals. And I was like, what do you mean you need to? Like we have at least three or four months until anything comes back. Like if you are have this mentality that you're on this training plan that you need to do this and you need to do that, like you're going to burn out. And people, a lot of people ask me like, how do you not, like I mentioned in like 30, I did a 40 hour week. And I was like, that was a lot, that was a lot of bikes, but I still like all of it was kind of for the enjoyment of riding bikes. And my mom is always like, but you, like on Monday, you wanted to get back on the bike. I was like, yeah, like I wanted to throw a t-shirt on and go spin around the bike, like spin around the block, just move my body. Um, And I think the ability to kind of figure out like what motivates you in this time, if it's not the racing part, like how do you, how do you get back to the love of bikes? And for me, like the competition is a big thing. So chasing the QOMs has been super, super rewarding. Um, but then on some days also being able to step back and just be like, I love riding my bike. I'm going to go ride to the coffee shop and it's going to be great. And so I think that's been super fun to be able to kind of see people around in the community, challenging themselves in different ways and motivating in different ways. So
1: being new to, to this sport, to triathlon, to gravel, to mountain biking, obviously you're doing a lot of hours. What are your recovery tricks that you've, that you're (laughs) implementing right now to, to be able to sustain this sort of workload?
2: Yeah. Um, so I I got one of these whoop bands, um, I think in December, because I was actually curious. Yeah. I was curious because for me, uh, I don't want to give away my secrets, but I'm a champion sleeper. I sleep for like 10, 11 hours if I can.
1: Good for you. And Gosh, I those, just... those were the days, August. <laughs> sleeping for 10 hours Dude. man. those, those yeah. were the days.
0: <laughs> yeah, they were the days.
2: <laughs> um, so that definitely, it's been really interesting to see this week. Day. I'll be like, ah, I slept for 12 hours. I'm going to be so fresh. And the ability that sleep, sleep helps a lot. And it is kind of the reason that my body is able to sustain this huge volume, but it doesn't cure all. Like I do still have to take days. I, I don't want to say days off. Cause I'm not going to days off, but like recovery days, um, I use the normal tech legs. Um, I try and, you know, eat well. It's been, it's been interesting. Not one of the biggest things in business school is uh, networking is a huge part of it, which really just means going to the bar and drinking with your classmates. So I was doing a lot of networking for the two years that I was in business school. So it's been really nice to kind of step back and be able to be like, okay, no restaurants are open. No bars are open. I'm going to cook for myself. We're going to focus. We're going to drink, you know, Very, very rarely, if at all. Um, And just kind of how much better you feel when you're focusing on sleep and recovery and eating well. Um, And that kind of has put back in the rewards um, that I see on the bike as well.
1: I got to ask, because I've learned that you're also a co-founder of a ketone endurance nutrition company. And we had an episode about ketones uh, last year during the Tour de France. Tell us a little bit about that.
2: Yeah, so that was an interesting... um, I had my co-founder came to me when I was still in business school. His wife went to Anderson, and he reached out and was like, "I, you know, I'm a sports nutrition. I have a sports nutrition background. I've developed this formula, but I come from strength and conditioning. I don't really know about the endurance world. Um, would you like to kind of come on board and help me with this?" And so we've been working on it. It's a kind of a combination. I like to say, if you've ever heard of human, the kind of you know, fireball shot of ketones that tastes like gasoline that, you know, a combination between not quite that extreme and scratch, which is your everyday endurance. We kind of managed to blend those two together and it's a more everyday version where you could mix in your water bottle and use it to kind of the way that the ketones can be used by your body. You can go for longer um, because it's a different fuel source, but it doesn't have that, first of all, the price tag that the human has, no one is, you know, no one around here is ready to pay you know, a hundred dollars for three servings, unless you're like really at the top of the top of your game. Um, so ours is kind of in the, you know, $5 range to put in your water bottle. And then it has a combination of um, the carbohydrates and the ketones that your body can use while you're riding, running, or doing any longer endurance activities that said, like, it was another one we've kind of taken a step back because we didn't launch before um, the pandemic happened. So we've kind of been waiting and trying to figure out how to position ourselves so that, you know, four to eight weeks out from when things look like they're going to come back when that panic sets in for the people that have been, you know, baking banana bread, they're like, oh my God, races are coming back. I've been eating banana bread for the last four months, Um, kind of be able to take take advantage of that kind of initial panic of people wanting to like get stronger and use anything that they can um, kind of and try anything new so I'm excited about it it's definitely another one of those that kind of has taken uh, a pause uh, but it's the it's given me the ability to kind of test out and see if I can use anything that I learned in business school about launching launching a brand and developing and you know running a business which is really cool
0: Awesome. Well, it's been wonderful to talk to you, and I appreciate having you on. And I'm looking forward to watching you when the world opens back up race because yes. just, you know, like <laughs> the last the last couple of days, like looking. Uh, yeah, at your at your sort of brief history in the in this in this world, or you know, comparatively, it's exciting. So I'm I'm it'd be interesting to see what you can do, and you know, good luck. It'd be great. Thank, Thank you. Thank you so much,
1: Isabel. Um, what sort of advice do you have for Richie when he's in? Uh, for Reggie, I'm sorry, when he's in the in the bubble there. Been, <laughs> uh, I mean, he's got to be going crazy after doing everything with you out in the wilderness yeah. and the beautiful scenery, and all of a sudden he's just doing laps around so Disney World, fat. right?
2: so flat and so lacking of a bike um I know I was so bummed because he really he had gotten so strong and I know that he will like I feel like once you reach a level of fitness the ability to get back to there is 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 doable um but for him it'll be three months of jogging around the golf course (laughs) which for him like It's exciting. He was getting more into trail running a little bit. Um, And we had even talked about maybe doing a duathlon off-road duathlon um, this year, which I was super excited about. Um, So maybe he's just, he's just training the the running side of that for a little bit. Um, And then, you know, do some pushups in his hotel room. (laughs) But honestly, if I know anything about Reggie's, it will take him no time to come back and just be ready to kick my butt again, which is really fun.
1: Well, thank you again. Thank you very much.
2: Thanks, guys. appreciate it. Have a good
1: one. Well, that's it, everyone. Thank you again to Isabel King for joining us. You can find all of our past episodes as well as a ton of other fantastic cycling journalism over at VelaNews.com. Subscribe to us at Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, or whatever your favorite go-to podcast site may be. Just search for Put Your Socks On or Fizzo, P-Y-S-O. Thanks again for all your support. And please spread the word by telling your friends about us.
0: This episode was produced and edited by Eddie Rogers. You can get at us on social media uh, at thatisgus and at bobby.julik on Instagram. Reach out to us there. Give us any feedback, show suggestions. Um, We check all those and we really do appreciate that. Until next week. Thank you, everyone. Stay safe. Stay sane. Stay calm. And don't
1: forget to put your socks and mask on.